0: chapters of Joshua. Are you ready? Uh, I'm going to preach on nine chapters of Joshua tonight uh, to give you a little bit of a taste for some of the things we skipped over. I don't know if you uh, saw some of the bits that weren't read out tonight. Just if you have your Bible there, uh, have it open to Joshua. That's the, the bit of God's Word we're looking at tonight. Uh, some of the bits of Joshua that we're not going to read out to you but which are part of the the stuff we're preaching through tonight have a look maybe at Joshua chapter 18, verse 12. Just have a look at the geography lesson that you get there. That's where the tribe of Benjamin was allotted in the land. And I hear you saying, so what? I asked the same question as I was preparing this and my mind flicked to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, which says this, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. How on earth are you and I going to benefit? How are we going to grow in the ability to serve God in the way that he intends us to uh, through a passage like that? Well, two ways. One, by looking at more than just verses about geography and that's why we're preaching through nine chapters tonight. And secondly, by asking God to help us. So would you pray with me as we begin? Sovereign Lord, we thank you that you are a faithful God, a God who makes and keeps his promises. We pray tonight that you would help us to understand you better, to understand ourselves as you declare us to be. And we pray that somehow through these words you might equip us for the good you've prepared for us to do and we pray all this in jesus name amen okay so if you're visiting we're preaching through this book of the bible called joshua it's book number six out of all the books in the bible and it's before jesus Uh, everything in the bible has to do with jesus and this book joshua ironically the well not ironically just it happens to be that the name joshua is the hebrew name is the same as jesus in the Greek doesn't mean anything in particular, it's just there. This book, Joshua, looks forward to Jesus in a particular way, not just in that Joshua is kind of representative for his people, although that is true, not just because Joshua speaks the words of God to his people, like Jesus, although that is true, but most of all because God is keeping his promises to his people through what Joshua does. Those promises we find right at the start of the Bible. I'm about to uh, take us to two of them in Genesis and Exodus, the first two books of the Bible, so that we understand what is actually happening here. Um, If you've been at church for a while, thank you for indulging me. Uh, You know already that this book of Joshua is about the land. Uh, These nine chapters, 13 through 21, are about dividing up this land that was promised to God's people. And so... The question that raises is, well, why are they getting a land? And the answer comes in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is on page 11 of your Bibles. If you want to turn there, I'm just going to read the first four verses. This is God speaking to a nobody from nowhere with no kids and no hope, a man called Abram, who lived in tents. He lived in the desert. He had no place to call his own and he really had no future. And God said to him, leave your country your people and your father's household and go to the land, I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis chapter 12. God speaks a promise to Abraham. That promise is fulfilled in lots of ways. Ultimately, in heaven itself. This is a promise which all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, is through Abraham's descendant, Jesus. He's the fulfilment of this promise. Jesus is the one who makes a space for God's people. That is heaven itself, a physical place where the resurrected Jesus can say, touch my hands, feel my side. I'm really alive, the food doesn't drop through me. I am preparing a place for you. That's that's what Jesus says to those who put their trust in him. This promise to Abraham is ultimately fulfilled in heaven, in in the place that Jesus prepares. But in the meantime, in the the relatively short term, it's fulfilled in this land called Canaan, where Jerusalem is at the moment. It's fulfilled through those descendants, the physical descendants of Abraham, uh, the people the Bible calls Israel. Confusing for us because we know Israel is a place which has existed in the Middle East since 1948. But Israel in the Bible are a group of people, descendants of this man Abraham. And it was to those people that God promised a land. And the story of Joshua is them walking into that land, taking over it. We've heard in weeks past the story of the Battle of Jericho. Not really much of a battle at all. God's people walked around in circles and blew trumpets and shouted and the walls of a fortified city fell down to show that when God's people went into the land that was promised, they do it on God's strength, not by their own strength. looks forward to the cross, where God deals with sin in His wisdom and strength, in the death of His Son on the cross, not in what you might expect a terrifying army or conqueror to look like. Jesus is the fulfilment of what God is doing through the Old Testament. The second passage we're going to look at kind of summarises this walk into the promised land, and it's in Exodus chapter 23. Exodus 23. It'd be good if you read this with me uh, in your Bible. Exodus 23 starts on page 77. Page 77. And in these, in these words to the leader of that people, Israel, uh, at the moment the leader is Moses. Israel have been saved out of Egypt. Uh, If you've seen the Prince of Egypt movie, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Plagues, Pharaoh who says, no, I won't let them go. God rescues his people in an act of judgment and mercy and sends them out to the land. They go via the desert where because of their faithlessness, a whole generation of people die out because they didn't do what God said. They didn't trust him or his words. But God says to Moses, I'm going to do this great stuff that's described in Exodus 23, but you've got to be careful. And I want to say before I read this through, from 20 through to the end, is that this is speaking uh, to God's people then and it's speaking to us now. It summarises these nine chapters of Joshua and the warning. And the warning is this. When you come into God's place, get rid of anything that will distract you from following God wholeheartedly. When you come into the place that God gives you, get rid of anything that will stop you from following God wholeheartedly. That's what God is teaching his people here and I hope in this room tonight. The same is true for those who trust in Jesus. When when you make that decisive turn to trust in Jesus, a, a victory is given to you. Jesus' triumph over sin and death and evil is given to you graciously by God. You don't have to deal with your own sin, God does it for you. A decisive victory which is then the start of a mopping up operation where your life is gradually transformed by the power of God to to be what it should be, a life that imitates God himself, of love love of self-sacrifice for the good of others with eternal benefit and fullness in the meantime. A decisive victory and a mopping up operation that leads to the future. And so God says to his people, get rid of anything that's going to distract you. It's about getting rid of idols, things that claim to be God but aren't really, things that get in the way of you seeing God for who he is. So, the summary of nine chapters of Joshua is in Exodus 23, verse 20. It says, as God speaks to Moses, See, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I've prepared. Remember the commander of the Lord's army that came to Joshua? Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Don't rebel against him. He won't forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to all he says and do all I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies. And I will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land and this is the promised land described here as the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites and I will wipe them out. Don't bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Worship the Lord your God And his blessing will be on your food and water. I'll take away sickness from among you and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hivites, Canaanites and Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate And the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you've increased enough to take possession of the land. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert to the river. I'll hand over to you the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before you. Don't make a covenant with them or their gods, don't let them live in your land or they'll cause you to sin against me, because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. I know it's a long passage, but it sums up perfectly these chapters of Joshua. When you go to the land, God wants wants you to follow him wholeheartedly. And so get rid of anything that's going to distract you from following him that way. So let's look at the data in Joshua. Flick forward to Joshua, please. Uh, you 're in Exodus, so you go through Num- Leviticus numbers Deuteronomy, Joshua. God says to his people, "Go in, take the land, and get rid of everyone from inside it. How do israel do well as as you 'd expect Israel do a pretty good job, but not a complete job. kind of sounds like my obedience to God. I try, but I fail thankfully ooh, Thankfully, what matters most of all is the faithfulness of God and not the faithlessness of his people. God's faithfulness triumphs over his people's unfaithfulness. And this is good news for people like you and me. So, the introduction, 13 verse 1. Peter, would you mind closing the shutters up top as well, please? The introduction, 13 verse 1. No one likes hearing this news, right? Depending on who you are. 13 verse 1, when Joshua was old and well advanced in years, the Lord said to him, you are very old. (laughs) And there are still large areas of land to be taken over. Notice that this happens halfway through the book. Uh, Jericho's been conquered, the decisive victory of the big town in the middle of the land and there's, there's much more to do. Uh, I spent some time during the week looking at maps of the promised land. I'm convinced that I could have shown you lots of pretty colours and maps and it's not going to help you know God better or trust him more. You might be interested in maps. Go look at maps of the promised land, see where everyone lived. Pretty sure it's not going to help you know God better. That's what we're here for. No maps for you. But there are still very large areas of land for God's people to do what they were told to do, take over the land that God has given and so we get into this adventure through chapters 13 and on where we see the different tribes, 12 tribes, two and a half over the river, nine and a half on this side, kind of going through and doing what God tells them. How do they go? Let's have a look. Chapter 13, verse 13. 13, verse 13. But the Israelites did not drive out the people of Geshur and Makkah, so they continue to live among the Israelites to this day. ba 15, verse 63, chapter 15, verse 63, that's right, there are 63 verses. Chapter 15, verse 63, Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem and to this day the Jebusites live there with the people of Judah. Do you have Exodus ringing in your ears? Get rid of them, God says, they'll become a snare to you. Chapter 16, verse 10, just down that column, 16, verse 10. They did not dislodge the Canaanites living in Giza. To this day, the Canaanites live among the people of Ephraim and are required to do forced labour. And chapter 17, verse 13, two prime numbers, 17, verse 13. However, however, when the Israelites grew stronger, they subjected the Canaanites to forced labour, but did not drive them out completely. And you can kind of understand it, can't you? You have got to come to the people of God, to Israel, with a, a bit of a soft spot for them. They're in this lovely land. There's there's military victory going on left, right, and centre. We're taking possession of the towns. Like we've got a we've got a big majority. Surely, surely God, God doesn't want us to to wipe out these people completely. That's just that's just unnecessary, isn't it? Like we're clearly in control. It's in direct opposition to what God has said. It seems to make sense on a personal level. Surely God doesn't want that. Surely, I say, making my judgement the thing on which I base my life. Have you said that in your life? Surely God doesn't want me to do that. That doesn't seem to make sense. God's got to be kidding about getting rid of that in my life. God has said, get rid of them completely, they'll become a snare to you. And to Israel's credit, they're not all bad. Like There are some moments of success. Chapter 13, verse 22. 13, verse 22. In addition to those slain in the battle, the Israelites had put to the sword, Balaam, son of Beor, who practised divination. Hooray! See? Foreign religion, taken down. Good one, Israel. They did what they were meant to do. Chapter 15, verse 16. Chapter 15, verse 16. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksar in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Siriath Sefer. Caleb's going, this needs to be done. There's a reward for you if you do it. Israel, to some extent, do what they were told but they don't finish the job. They don't finish the job. So, why is it at the end of chapter 21, Why is it at the end of chapter 21 that God can say what he says? Have a look at the end of chapter 21. It was what was read out at the end there. Thanks, Joe. Chapter 21, verse 43. How can God say, so the Lord gave Israel all the land he'd sworn to give their forefathers and they took possession of it and settled there. Listen to all the all-encompassing language, all and every. Verse 44, the Lord gave them rest on every side just as he had sworn to their forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all their enemies over to them. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Options. One, the guy who wrote the book of Joshua is on the gear and doesn't know what he's talking about because clearly this disagrees with what we've read in those verses before. Two, things have changed without being reported in the book of Joshua, they have actually finished the job and cast out everyone. Not true because those people still lived among God's people to this day. That's historical fact. Three, Joshua is trying to make a point, or the writer of the book of Joshua is trying to make a point about God's faithfulness. Do you notice that God's people don't have anything to do with what's described in verses 43 and following? Just run your eyes over it again and see who is doing the doing here. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he'd sworn to give their forefathers and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side just as he'd sworn their forefathers. Not one of the enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all their enemies over to them. Not one of all the, goods prom- of the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. These little, these little verses that tie together this section before the big final farewell, the wind up at the end of Joshua and by the way, come to church next week for many reasons, but come to church next week. It's going to be gold. The wind-up at the end of this section is about the faithfulness of God that triumphs, that trumps human faithlessness. Even when his people don't do what they were meant to do, God is still faithful. Can you see how this looks forward to the cross? after centuries of promise of Israel being rescued and shown mercy and given hope and failing and being judged for it and being given more mercy and another chance and failing and being judged and being given more mercy and another... That's the story of the Old Testament. It's like mercy, judgment, grace, mercy, judgment, grace, God being good again and again. Jesus arrives and does what Israel never did, lived like God said. This is why Jesus is so compelling. He lived like we were meant to live, properly in response to a gracious, faithful God of promise. And Jesus does what Israel couldn't. He pays for their sin and triumphs over it. Chapter 20 in Joshua, I think, looks forward really clearly. To what God is going to do at the cross? Have a look at the cities of refuge for me. Now, not many of you, I think, are murderers. I don't know you that well, especially your visitors. Hi, don't know your background. Not really saying anything about you. Let's talk about murder. Chapter twenty. The Lord said to Joshua, "Tell the Israelites now they're in the land. They've taken over most of it. What do you do once you've done that? You set up cities of refuge." Verse 2, tell the Israelites, designate cities of refuge, as I instructed you back in the book of Exodus, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. That's God. God is the avenger of blood. From the very beginning, with Cain and Abel, God avenges the spilling of blood. If you do a little... Uh, search in your iPhone Bible for the phrase, put to death, you'll see that all through the first couple of books of the Bible, God says that the punishment for stepping outside of His good command is that people are put to death. For stuff that we would go, really? Adultery? Put to death? Dishonouring your parents? Put to death? World's strictest parents? Wow. Wow. But the punishment for stepping outside of the good command of the God who made you and loves you enough to tell you how to live well is that the life he gives you is taken away. You are put to death. But if accidentally you spill the blood of another, there's there's hope. Uh, This city of refuge idea, I think, sums up beautifully uh, the cross of Jesus itself. There's a place you can go when you've done wrong, when you've done such wrong that you should be put to death. There's a place that you can go where justice is done and yet you escape. There's a place that you can go that God has prepared. See what you do in verse 4? When he flees to one of these cities, he's to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state his case before the elders of that city. I've done the wrong thing. It doesn't feel good ever saying that, does it? I've killed a man. I didn't mean to. I've killed a man. Then they are to admit him into their city and give him a place to live with them. And you see the mercy of God. If the avenger of blood pursues him, the one who's been wronged, if the avenger of blood persists him, they must not surrender the one accused because he killed his neighbour unintentionally and without malice aforethought. Verse 6, he's to stay in that city until he stood trial before the assembly. Guilty is the declaration. And until the death of the high priest who's serving at that time. Then he may go back to his home in the town from which he fled restoration, proper forgiveness, justice has been done, relationship restored. Can you see the cross of Jesus? This is a story about a city in Canaan, but it's looking forward to what Jesus does on the cross. And so when you do the very thing which deserves your life to be taken away, you turn your back on the God who made you and said, get, get lost, God. I will decide what's right for me. I'll decide what I focus on in life. The right thing for you, the just thing for God to do is to take away the life he gave you. Harsh but fair. And yet God has God has made a place where you can flee, where you can plead your case and said, I've done the wrong thing. And God says, guilty and yet forgiven. Come and live in the place I've prepared for you. Can I say to you, take refuge in God. Whether this is news to you or something old, it's good to be reminded that God loves you enough to send his own son to be punished for you. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. Whatever you have done, God knows it. You can't hide from it. It will become known on that last day. God gave his son for you. There is a place where you can go and you're still declared guilty and it kind of feels terrible, but you get to live. You get to live with a clear conscience knowing that sin has been dealt with. God said, I know you're messed up and I still love you. Have you been in a relationship where you've done the wrong thing, said the wrong thing, and you know it's your fault? And you think how... How can I go on? I've been married for 13 years, so this has happened to me a lot. I've done the wrong thing a lot. I've let down my wife. Uh, And Leah, she has no reason to forgive me when I let her down. But She loves me. And so even though I feel terrible, she says, forgiven. That's just a small picture of what God does for you in Jesus. You fail all the time to live up to what you should do. God loves you and has prepared a place where you can flee and be pronounced forgiven. There's a city of refuge uh, that Joshua 20 looks forward to. Where do we go from the end of Joshua 21? Uh, we go to a moment of decision for God's people. Uh, it's going to be great next week but I want to finish tonight where we started. we fi- We're going to finish tonight where we started by looking at that great warning in Exodus 23. You don't need to turn back to it. The warning from Exodus 23 says, when you get to the place that's safe, the city of refuge, when you get there, get rid of everything. What does this say to us as God's people who can see the fulfilment of these things? Come with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 is right near the end of the New Testament. I'd love you to turn to it, page 1193 page 1193, Hebrews chapter 12, It's instead of looking forward to the cross, it's looking back. It looks back through Hebrews 11 to the, the whole Old Testament, to all the people who saw what God had promised but didn't get it, didn't see it like we've seen it. And so with this litany, this list of faithful ones through the Old Testament who've not received what was promised, 1139, What does God say to you? He says, Therefore, Hebrews chapter twelve, verse one, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that is witnesses to the faithfulness of God, let's throw off everything that hinders, and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How do you do it? Verse two. I've had a couple of conversations in the last few months of people who've grown weary of following Jesus. And it grieves me for people to see, to know Jesus and to walk away from Him. Get rid of, get rid of whatever is in your life that's holding you back from following Jesus wholeheartedly get rid of it. I know you think it's okay. Of course you think it's okay. You decided to do it. It's just what you like. It's just what I'm like. Of course you think it's all right. How could God possibly say? But he has said, get rid of everything that holds you back from serving him wholeheartedly. I I don't know what's in your heart, but you do. You know where you've decided. Well, I know God says to be generous, not greedy. I know God says to speak purely, not words of hate. I know God says... Whatever it is for you, give it up because it will become a snare to you. I just want to say one thing about generational stuff. I think if you see your parents do something and it's the opposite of what God says is right, it's easy to say, oh, it's fine, my parents, my parents did it and they're okay. Even if your parents are Christians, they're not perfect. Just because they did it doesn't mean it's right for you. Friends, if we are to be people who live in the love of a faithful God, you've got to trust that his word is good and true. I've got to listen to the Lord who made me and trust that he knows what's best for me on how to live in this world. I'm going to spend a minute praying. There's going to be a a semi-awkward silence in the middle uh, where I'm just going to ask God to uh, remind us of uh, who we really are and those bits of our lives where we haven't got rid of the sin that entangles us. Uh, Please pray with me. Sovereign Lord, as we see uh, your great hand at work through the sweep of history, uh, we thank you that you have given us a saviour who knows what it is to find it hard to obey you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Father, we pray that you would give us the same spirit that raised him from the dead, uh, that helps us keep our eyes fixed on him, that gives us the insight to see the sin in our lives that entangles us and holds us back from following you wholeheartedly. Father, we pray that you would show us the sin in our life and help us to put it to death. Father, we thank you that you have prepared a place where we can find refuge. We thank you for the cross of Christ. We thank you for the promise of heaven with you. And we ask that you would help us to persevere until that day. Amen.